This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. If you want to find out more about the show, go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you would like to contact me for any reason, I would love to hear from you. So go to the website and click on the contact icon. If you would like to listen to the show, you can go to the website and click on the archives link at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes where you can download the show's episodes to your computer, iPhone, iPod or iPad. Please leave a comment on iTunes and rate five stars if you enjoy the show and show your support. That would be greatly appreciated. If you are travelling and don't have access to iTunes, you can either visit the website or find our podcast on Stitcher.com and listen to us from anywhere around the world. If you want to join the discussions on Facebook and you want to share photos and videos and get involved in the conversation, you can find us under Australian Hunting Podcast. You can also join our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash ahpodcast. If you enjoy watching videos, then please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com forward slash Aussie Feral Control. Alternatively, all social media links can be found on the website. If you want to be part of the podcast, then please leave us a voicemail by clicking on the voicemail icon on the right hand side of the website. This gives you an opportunity to be part of the show and we will play your voicemail messages on the Straight Shooting Podcast. Any businesses wishing to advertise on AHP by running sponsorship advertisements, then please send me an email at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to donate to the show, you can click on the donate button on the website. I appreciate all my dedicated and loyal donating listeners and this show would not have been the same without your support. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people into hunting, shooting and fishing as you possibly can. That way they can enjoy what we already know and love. My name is Jason Selms and without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Marty Phillips, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for being uh, part of the Everyday Hunter series at AHP. Thank you. Happy to be here, mate. Absolutely, mate. Um, tell us about yourself, actually. I want to find out you know, a bit of a personal level. Hunt, shoot, fish, all of the above, and what do you enjoy doing? Well, I, I hunt a little bit. I shoot a lot, um, and I wish I fished more. Um, I probably don't fish more because I spend all my time shooting, <laughs> the spare time that I do have. Um, <laughs> from, a, from a little kid, I was always been a bit of um, a gun nut, I suppose is the term. Um, I didn't really come from a, a shooting family or anything like that, but um, mum and dad sort of bought me an air rifle for my 12th birthday and it sort of spanned from there, um, just hunting cane toads and stuff around in the backyard and 
shooting tin cans and that kind of thing, and then worked up to a 22, and um, then they had a little 410 shotgun, and um, yeah, then when I sort of turned 18, I let guns go for a little bit and started working, and um, got a bit of spare money up my sleeve and started getting back into shooting again, and yeah, now I've got a safe full at home, and <laughs> Mate, what was that conversation like? I can imagine because probably you're very similar to me. My, you know, my parents were never into shooting, um, and I did have an air rifle too at 18. I remember having the the conversation with the family, going, you know, can I have it? And pretty much at the time, I think my parents loved me very much, so they was like, oh, you know, not really. And I was like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> and eventually swung them over. But at 12, how did you sort of swing that at 12 years old? Oh, mate, I've already, I was the first-born son, and I was the first grandchild, so I got the big brown eyes and the can-do-no-wrong smile, and <laughs> <laughs> sort of conned mum and dad into it. Yeah. I was always sort of pretty responsible as a kid, too, and it was made very clear to me like, when I was given it by my birthday, I got the hug and the kiss and happy birthday, and then, you know, from dad, you know, you you won't get it back if you do something wrong with it, so, <laughs> yeah. and I knew I knew he was pretty serious, too, my, my old man was pretty serious, so I knew that if I mucked up with it or did something stupid it'd be the last gun I ever got my hands on so yeah um any brothers or, sorry go on go on, go on oh no no you're right I was going to say brothers or your brothers or sisters they ever you got any they ever get into it or anything like that or um I got, I got a younger sister she's two years younger than me um she's sort of never really uh, been into it she'd, she'd, yeah, she'd have a go um she'd have a go at the air rifle or the 22 or whatever and it never really sort of took her fancy. Um, as, as adults, I've taken her to the range. Um, she had she had to go a couple of the pistols and enjoyed that, but it yeah, hasn't sort of asked to come back or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, been made made strictly clear that um, if I'm ever to bring meat around, it's it's to be in um, Coles or Woolworths packaging, clearly marked as beef or lamb. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love pulling a Swifty on them when you? Uh, I've done yeah. that to my ex missus one time. She used to we used to what do we cook? I think it was um, spaghetti. You know, and I th- it was only turkey mince from you know Coles, but she goes, oh, that's yeah. a, that's a bit that's pretty good. And I said, she said, that's beef, and I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the next day, <laughs> I sort of let loose that it was you know tur- turkey mince. She's like, oh, you're a bastard. And <laughs> so. So, you know, good you know, going on from that, what about you? What about your dad? I mean, uh, growing up, I mean, when you were into it too, did did he ever decide to get into it? No, didn't tickle his fancy either, or no, he'd, he'd have a bit of a shoot here and there, but like, my old man couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a twelve gauge if he was standing from like ten feet from it. <laughs> it's never, yeah. it's never really been something he's been good at, or sort of. I've heard stories from mum when they were younger. He'd, he'd sort of gone shooting with mates and took him like ten shots with a twenty two to kill a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> slow and painful death for the rabbit sort of things. I think he's sort of doing the world a favour by not getting into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was he was happy to sort of support me doing it, you know, like I was, you know, when I run out of ammo, Dad would always finance the ammo and that kind of thing. So it was, he was supportive of it, but he yeah, never really got into it himself. Yeah, sounds fantastic. Mate, you know when you obviously you work in a certain industry, uh, you know, what are people's reactions, you know, when you, you sort of, you know, they find out, yeah, you're a hunter. You like shooting. Do they they freak out? What do they normally do? I I, I sort of work in the sales industry, um, and a lot of the people like it's in the construction industry. Um, so I'm a sales rep, so I travel around and spend my day like just talking to people. Basically, it sounds it sounds easy, um, but I can sort of gauge 
people um, when I meet them and sometimes you can pick other shooters straight away like you pull into some customers places and they've got a double SAA sticker on the back of their truck and which is great for me because you know if, if I've not met them before like if it's a cold call or whatever it's a great talking point and uh, one, one of the best customers I've, I've got um, when I first started working here I, he, he was an existing customer and he'd had sort of a pretty good relationship with the previous sales rep and um, when I took over he sort of didn't know me from Adam sort of thing and um, I went in there and I saw a um, gun license application on his desk that he'd filled out for himself and his young fella and I um, just started talking to him about that and one thing led to another and I invited him down to my local range and he came out with um, with his two teenage sons and one of their mates and I took out a few of my rifles and it cost me a hundred bucks in ammo and I just sort of let him cut sick down the range for a bit and um, since then he's been one of my most loyal customers every, every bit of business um, that he gets he sends my way like, that hundred bucks worth of ammo has probably made the business oh, probably close to a hundred grand by now I reckon <laughs> you uh, should get a commission <laughs> I sure I'll, I do if I hit my budget so <laughs> a few more if I had if all my customers were shooters I'd be cleaning up I can tell you yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I know you were talking about um, uh, hunting, you said you said limited experience, you know, so tell me about your hunting, tell me um, what you enjoy or um, and what sort of makes you want to get out and go hunting. Yeah, well, my, my first real taste of hunting, or other than shooting a few cane toads around the paddock when I was a kid, um, was I moved up to Cairns in my early 20s and um, I sort of did a bit of travelling around in my free time up there and I... Um, I had a customer that used to come into the shop there all the time and he had a property up at Weeper, which is sort of up in the Gulf, and um, got to be pretty good mates with him. And I said to him, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind trying a bit of hunting because he's always coming in talking about pigging and that because pigs up there are just um, fairly thick. And um, he said, oh, I'll come up and give it a try. And I wasn't licensed at the time. I didn't have my own gun or anything like that. So I um, took two weeks off work and I went up and he lent me an old thirty thirty that he had there and they just um, instantly, instantly addicted. I think I probably missed the first three that I shot at, but um, there's plenty of them around up there. You can shoot pigs all day. Like you shoot till you run out of ammo up there, and it's um, that's. I was just instantly hooked. That first pig that I knocked through the side and dropped in, and that, and that was it. I knew I was going to be a hunter, and it wasn't <laughs> long after that that I went and got my own license. And it's just yeah, I've loved it since. I love love getting out in the outdoors, and like, particularly up there, like North Queensland, it's just. Once you get used to the sort of oppressive heat and the humidity and having to oil your gun every day because it, yeah. it'll rust instantly <laughs> up there, it's, um, yeah, it's just, just paradise. It's a hunter's paradise up there. It's just unreal. Yeah, my parents live up there on the Gold Coast or just, just a bit north, halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, and sometimes I go up there in summer and I'm like, oh, can you... I've been to Cairns uh, once. I thought it was quite nice, but, geez, it was humid. I mean, I thought, kill oh, me, yeah. send me to New Zealand, send me to Victoria. <laughs> Not much humidity, hopefully. Oh yeah, I mean, you get used to it. Your first, your first summer up there really does knock you around. Um, but by the time the second winter rolls around and it's getting down to 25 at night, <laughs> you're you're all rugged up with a, a jumper and a pair of jeans, and like mates only come and visit you in um, in winter time up there because it's too hot for them in summer. And you know they're sitting around in boardies and singlets, laughing at you, or you're shivering at in 25 degrees, but. <laughs> I've, I've lived in Brisbane for the last seven years and I've never once complained about the heat, so that's the flip side to it. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. We're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. 
Whether you're into hunting bunnies, foxes, wild dogs, feral pigs or even wild goats, there is only one hunting magazine that covers the lot and a little bit more. Shoot Feral's Australia magazine promotes ethical hunting practices and values in each issue. Grab a copy today at your local newsagent or look them up at shootferals.com.au. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blade splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook or call Bob on 0410 432 852 and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. You, we were talking off air. I wanted you to sort of talk to the listeners about participating in non-hunting related shooting activities. You know, rifle, pistols, targets. What do you enjoy? Oh, mate, any, anything that um, recoils and a bullet comes out the end of it, I enjoy it. I, um, when I when I did get my license, um, the first gun I bought was a, a three hundred eight, which I still got to this day. Just a cheap Power fifteen hundred with a bull barrel on it, um, and I sort of got into sort of. Not long, long range, but I, I like shooting stuff that's far away. So I got into like the F-class competitions and stuff like that. Um, and then um, I got into reloading because buying match grade 308 at $3.50 a shot <laughs> was um, a bit expensive. So I got into reloading and then I bought another caliber because um, the 308 was too heavy to carry around. So I bought a little 223 for taking up to the farm and shooting. And then... Um, yeah, just a collection. Just I don't even know what I bought after that. But I've got a safe full of guns now. I've got about five handguns and half a dozen rifles and a shotgun. And um, like I've got mates that are into clay shooting. I've, I've had a, a few goes at that. Um, pistol shooting is great fun. Um, I really enjoy my pistols. Um, a lot of red tape, um, but if you're happy to sort of cut through it, um, pistol shooting is really rewarding. Uh, it's a lot more difficult than um, it first appears. And when you watch a movie and there's people shooting bad guys, you know, 10 bad guys with 10 shots from 100 metres away with a 9mm, and <laughs> <laughs> it all looks very easy on TV, but once you start um, shooting it, you realise how much um, practice and skill it does take to become proficient at it. Because, you, you know, your sight radius, like open sights on a rifle, you've got, you know, a good 20 inches of sight radius. On a pistol, you've got four. So it, it all comes down to your grip and your hold and your breathing and how you squeeze the trigger and it's it's um, like it's it's fun to just dump magazine after magazine after magazine as quick as you can. But um, when you want to you know get into your bullseye shooting and that kind of thing, it, you really get a lot of respect for the guys who've been doing it for a long time and yeah. can consistently hit that bullseye every time because it is not as easy as it looks. Um, True. Um, what's your yeah. talking about? You, know, you obviously own quite a number as you said which you know you can never have too many as they always say no what, no no such thing what's your what's your go-to calibers what suits either your hunting or your style of target shooting what's in uh what's in marty safe well for a, for a hunting rifle um i'm actually in the market at the moment um for a 30 30 um there's no um one thing i do like about queensland is oh 
it's good and it's bad. I mean, there's no um, minimum calibre. I know down in New South Wales and Victoria and a few other states, you've got minimum calibre for, um, for deer and a lot yep. of other species. In Queensland, the DPI sort of recommend calibres, but there's no um, minimum. So like, I, I quite often just carry around a 223 that I load with 55 grain um, ballistic tip rounds. I like the Hornady VMAX, um, and you just sort of got to trust your your own skill. You know, like you you can't take a deer with a with a body shot, like a a, a heart lung with a small round like that. But if you can get within a hundred meters, like that rifle will hit a fifty cent piece at a hundred meters every time. So you know that you can comfortably take that animal ethically with it with a head or a neck shot, um, and it'll sort of die where it drops. Um, we don't have that minimum caliber restriction, and it's sort of up to the shooter. Um, to sort of know your limitations, know your own ability and know whether you can take that animal ethically or not. Um, so I use that 223 and it's a, it's a great round. You can always get, um, I don't buy factory ammo, but you can always get reloading components for it. Um, it's cheap to shoot, like it's, it's cheaper than a 17 HMR to, to shoot and you can use it on everything from, you know, rabbits all the way up to um, sort of small to medium sized deer. Um, we only really get the rooster deer and the red deer around this area, um, and yeah, it's it's more than adequate on on those. Um, nice. And for my for my sporting guns, I like um, well, the bigger the better. <laughs> I started on a, a little nine millimeter that I bought because it looked cool. Um, it's not the world's best sporting gun, so from there I went up to a three fifty seven after my first uh, year of probation, where you're only allowed one handgun. I bought a 357 Magnum, which I um, enjoyed for a few months, and then sort of that seemed too small. So I went and got into um, a guy came to the range one day. He had a matching pair of 44 Magnums that he used for Western action shooting, and um, that he was selling in a beautiful pair of Ruger um, Super Blackhawks. And uh, he only wanted 1600 for the pair, and they're a commemorative edition with gold inlay and everything in them. And I jumped at those and. Uh, and then went, then realised I had to go and have a um, special condition put on my licence, so uh, more red tape to jump through to get the higher calibre. Um, but um, that, that didn't, uh, to weapons licensing credit in Queensland, they have actually been pretty quick lately. Uh, most of your PTAs and um, that are coming back within a week. Uh, so it only took me two weeks to get that endorsed and then yeah, picked up a set of 44 Magnums. I love, I love shooting those. Um, and uh, this year for my birthday, um, single at the time, so I can spend whatever I want on myself. So I went and bought myself a, a nice Ruger SR1911 in 45, and I take that to the range. And technically, I use it for metallic silhouette competition. But I mean, the real reason I bought it is because I wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a good enough reason, Marty. Anyway, who cares? Yeah, you know? that's it. it. It should be on the. Um, yeah, I hate having to explain on PTAs. You know. Explain why you need it and explain why this need cannot be satisfied um, with a firearm that you already own. And yeah. <laughs> it's not really something you can explain, you know. Isn't um, it just the dumbest sort of, stuff you've ever heard? Oh, it is ridiculous. Like, you, you can't explain to a non-shooter why you're a shooter. Yeah. And I always say that to people. I'm like, come out and try it. You know, yeah. and I've taken people to the range that are, you know, like real anti-gun. And I said, like, I had a friend that's she's a bit of a hippie and very anti-gunner. And I said to her, I said, look, come out to the range, have a crack. Um, if you don't like it, I'll buy you dinner. And um, took her out, and she shot 10 rounds out of my 9 millimeter, and couldn't get the smile off of her face. Um, loves it. You know, she's always asking me, oh, when can I come to the range again? So, yeah, it's 
one of those things that's very hard to explain, but very easy to demonstrate, I found. Yeah. It's always interesting, that conversation. I mean, whether it's a romantic level or not, I've had that where people have found out I'm a hunter and shoot, and they're like, <laughs> some doesn't bother them, and then other ones, you know, other females, they're like, oh... Yeah, no, I'm not really going to like that. And I said, oh, you know, goodbye. See you later. Yeah. And they can't believe later. it. Yeah, they can't really believe it. I had one that could not believe it. And she goes, are you serious? And I said, well, I don't know. What do other guys normally do? Just give up everything they've ever loved and done just for you? I mean, you know, let's get serious a little bit. And she's like, oh, and I said, nah, just don't bother calling me again. And then they, yeah, can't, mate, they can't believe it. I, I found that, like, I've sort of been a dating girl on and off for the last sort of, uh, probably 18 months. I sort of come out of a serious relationship um, few, uh, about 18 months ago. And um, I found like, initially, like, I'd sort of meet a girl and sort of feel out the thoughts on hunting and that. And I, initially, I used to try and just explain myself, you know, like, oh, I only hunt feral animals, I only do this. And now I'm just like, nah, stuff it. I, I, I'm not going to cover it up. I, I shoot because I like to shoot. I hunt because I like to hunt. Yeah, if you don't it. like it, there's the door sort of thing, you know? Yep. Perfect way to be. Mate, getting back into the game, I missed a question there. What do you, you know, when you go out hunting, I mean, what, since you've been hunting certain species, what's your favourite and what do you enjoy? Well, I really like, and funnily enough, my, my favourite thing to shoot is hares. Um, I have friends that own a, a winery and a vineyard um, out near Harrisville, near Ipswich, and um, they have problems with hares there, um, eating the bark off their grapevines. Um, and that's that's year-round, whether there's, you know, green on the vines or not. They're always there nibbling away at the bark. Um, so they, you know, they're often, you know, they'll ring me up, and can you come out and knock over a few hares for us? And I'm more than happy to go out and do it. Uh, I really enjoy that, just small game. You know, you're not going to have to um, haul a big, you know, 100-kilo carcass up, a, up the side of a mountain and back to your truck and... You know, you can you can skin them, gut them, and have them ready to ready to cook in a few minutes, as opposed to a few hours. And they're just really really fun to shoot. And you you always get you know you're never going to walk around for hours and hours and hours and not see one. You know that the moment you step down into that back paddock, you're going to get a couple. Oh, it's it's a guaranteed sort of win when you step out there. I really enjoy shooting them. Um, and they're they're English, so they got no problems eating hair. I reckon it's a, a little bit game. I've tried it, but. It's, not really a favourite of mine, um, but they they make a dish called jugged hair out of it. They make curries out of it. They they love it. Um, and then I've only just recently sort of started going after deer. My um, uncle and auntie have a cattle property out at Kilcoy, a few hundred acres there, uh, and, a, and another um, property about 45 minutes west of there, a little place called Monsaldale, uh, which is quite mountainous, and they get the red deer up there. So the rooster deer at Kilcoy and red deer at Monsaldale. I've taken um, I've taken a couple of roosters out at the Kilcoy property, um, and uh, it would have been about a month ago now. Not nice. Um, it was contention as to who actually shot it, whether it was me or my cousin, because we both sort of seen it and fired at it at the same time. Uh, so we both sort of claimed it, but uh, we shot a nice um, red stag up at Monsaldale yeah, about a month ago. Um, and it was yeah they're, they're pretty sick up there. So we shot him, and then a whole herd sort of run past us. But sort of <laughs> one up for us. Don't you love that? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We'd been wandering around up there for two days, you know, seeing a lot of sign, a lot of rubbings on trees, and that. Found a wallow, and you can you can smell them. Like when you've been in the bush for a few days, and you get that stink of sort of city air out of your nostrils, you really can start to smell what's around, and um, you can even like you can pick the smell between because there's obviously cattle grazing on that on that block 
you can pick the smell between the cattle and the deer. Well, the deer are in rut at the moment, so they all stink. Mm. Um, and yeah, there was just we weren't walked up the side of a mountain real early in the morning like it was quite foggy it probably wasn't the best time to have gone up there but it was nice and cool and kept us warm walking up there and um we walked around for hours and hours and hours and i'd sort of given my cousin's mate he sort of come along and he's fairly new to it so i gave him my 2d3 and i carried around this big heavy target 308 it's not really a hunting rifle it's more of a bench rifle and um this little doe popped up probably 50 metres away from us, yeah. and uh, none of us had ears on, um, and um, I thought, oh, and no one had a round in the chamber. I thought, by the time I'd popped my ears in and racked around, this doe had seen us and bolted, and we sort of chased it for a bit and lost her and saw nothing again until the following afternoon. That's when we took that stag, which was pretty rewarding. Nice, mate. I know when um, asking people, this is a very, very interesting question, I guess each individual person, that's why I ask it on each show, what is it about, say, your hunting, shooting, firearms, the whole, the whole bit there that keeps you coming back, you know, and what do you enjoy so much, uh, and why has it hooked you? Oh, it's just everything about it. It's just, like, one, I've never been a city kid. Um, I, was, I was born in Brisbane, lived here till, oh, on the outskirts of Brisbane, um, so I was about 10, and then I think my parents had sort of had enough of it, um, like, city and noise and living on top of your neighbours and they just had enough of it and they bought a little block at a little country town um, called Mungar. It's probably the first um, shout out on any kind of media that Mungar's ever had. Uh, but <laughs> Mungar's sort of a It's on the map now, town. it's on the map. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's sort of really a nothing town. There's nothing in it. There's, um, you know, cattle and cane. That's really it. Um, little country school. Um, and I lived there from 10 through to 18 and I, I hated it when I first moved there, like you know, because you miss all your friends and everything. When you, you know, when you're only a young fella, you don't sort of appreciate what your parents are trying to do. But after a few years of living there, and you know, we had we weren't, weren't on massive lot of land or nothing. We we're just on acreage in a in a rural area. But you know, I could talk to friends at school and ask them what they did on their weekend. You know, they'd been inside playing Nintendo and that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, I'd jump on my motorbike, ripping around the yard and shooting stuff with my air rifle and my 22 and you just get you, you as you get older you sort of really appreciate that freedom of living in the country and i mean that that's part of why i enjoy hunting and shooting because you know it's part of being in the country Every, everyone well not everyone but most people out there do it um you know people don't freak out when they hear a gunshot living out in the country you know like it's sort of a fairly common thing no one calls the cops you don't have swat turn up at your front door and a helicopter hovering overhead um yeah, so that's part of it. I enjoy the country. Um, I enjoy firearms. Always have. I think I was probably one of those kids in school that um, teachers and other kids were probably a bit concerned about. That Marty magazine. Better watch out here when he gets older. Oh yeah, I always had like some sort of gun literature in my bag, and I'd read at lunchtime and that kind of thing. And probably knew more about firearms as a you know 15 year old kid than most adults do now. Um, so I love guns and um, sort of, you know, I've always enjoyed sort of the idea of getting out and hunting and I mean, obviously didn't get to do that till I was in my early 20s, a proper hunt, but once I did, I knew I'd like it before I did it and yeah, once I did it, once I squeezed that trigger and um, dropped that first pig, well, that was it. That, that was, I knew I was going to be a hunter for life and I think what sort of sets hunters apart 
um, from you know the rest of of notice, particularly living in a city. What sets you apart is you know you you know where your meat comes from. Um, you know, a lot of people just put it out of their mind. They go into Woolies, they buy a steak, and they take it home and cook it and eat it with no real thought as to you know how that animal died or where it came from. And like I'm I'm a I'm an animal lover. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I do that's probably a bit left wing for a shooter. Um, but I, I do love animals, um, but at the same time, I love animals next to my mashed potato and, and beans. <laughs> so mm, tasty. I, um, you know, I've, I've always said that, you know, hunted meat, and I have this argument all the time with any hunters, but the meat that, like if you're a veg or a vegan, good on you. You know, you stick to your principles, you don't eat meat, you know, good on you. I, you know, I, I won't argue against those people. That's the choice they've made, much the same as I've made a choice to be a hunter. Um, but for people that eat meat um, and then whinge and cry about hunting, um, right, they've just yeah, got their head up, up an orifice, you know which one I'm talking about. Um, you know, they, they don't realise what processed meat goes through. You know, it's, if anyone ever got onto a working cattle property, like if a greenie got onto a working cattle property and saw a session of cutting and branded, you know, there'd be parliamentary inquiries into it and that because it, it, it's cruel to watch. Um, well, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy a good steak, and I accept that that's what happens to it. And it's it's as painless as they can make it for the animal. But it, it's you know the animal's still obviously scared and that when they're going through it. And it's like I would be too if someone was holding me down, cutting my nuts out. But <laughs> um, you know, and then it gets jammed onto cattle trucks and sent to a processing yard, and um, you know it, it knows what's happening to it because it sees it happen to the animal in front. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're obviously, you know, it's pretty stressful on the animal. Um, but hunted meat, it's just minding its own business. It's walking around the bush, nibbling on a bit of grass, and the lights just go out. You know, if it's hunted properly, it's, you know, the bullet travels faster than the sound of the gunshot. So, in theory, if you hit them in the right spot, they don't even hear the shot that killed them. It's funny, that, isn't that, it? Um, sorry, yeah. it's funny that how people, you know, like I was just thinking about what you said about people, you know, eating meat and stuff, and I've got friends that do that, especially one of my one of my best friends, his wife, she's always, like, she's cool with it, you know, but then she, you know, especially about the whole, um, you know, African thing, the whole, um, you know, you've seen Ricky Gervais or whatever his name is, you know, oh, totally bagging yeah. hunting, and I saw, yeah, I'm friends with, him, with my mate's wife on Facebook too, so she's posted a few things from him, and I'm like, uh, like, you know, and then they all eat meat, and I, you know, he mucks around with me, he has jokes with me, and he goes, oh, you've just taken another soul, you know, it's another soul you've taken. And I thought, hang on, you've, you've taken quite a number of souls, and how many over the years you're eating meat, chicken every night, beef, lamb, pork, and then got the height of these people to to talk to me. And I just laugh when they say this type of stuff to me. I just say, are you guys serious? I mean, you guys eat meat left, right, and center. Every meal you have is yep. meat. Yet, you know, people, you know, and, you know, Again, people to be uh, appear or pretend to be experts on you know African hunting, yet have never yeah. done you know the brass rars of stuff all uh, to help you know African nations. They've never contributed any money. They've never been over there. They just believe what they read on Facebook. I mean, it's kind of pathetic, really. Yep. Yeah, and it's you know we li we live in a it's sad now that we live in a society where um, people's opinions are so easily swayed by the media. Um, I I'd never sort of realised how much of an agenda the media really has um, until I sort of got right into my shooting and became licensed. And you really start sit up and start to pay attention to, 
you know, all the politics and the laws and everything that surround being a firearm owner, and not, not just in Australia, in other countries as well, or particularly America. Um, you know, like people always, oh, you know, you shouldn't have automatic weapons. Look what look what happens in, um, you know, look what happens in America. There's a massacre there every few months, and you know, and they'll they'll look at a, a picture of someone holding an AR-15, and you know, the, and this is the thing that really annoys me is like the reporters don't use the correct terminology and that kind of thing, and there'll be a man standing there holding an AR-15, and they'll say, oh, a man with a machine gun. That's not a machine gun. It's a, it's a semi-automatic rifle. Um, it doesn't become or it, it can't be a machine gun for a start because it's semi-automatic. Um, it's not belt-fed, um, you know, and you can carry it around. It's, um, you know, it's not a mounted weapon at all. And but the media, you know, straight away, oh, it's a machine gun. And then people that don't know any better, oh yeah, that's a machine gun. You know, <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and that's you know those evil-looking black rifles, mate. That's you know, and that's that's what makes it harder and harder to sort of try and push to get those sort of rifles back in Australia. I think it's going to be a very long, very uphill battle and it's largely to do with the media because I'm sure there's politicians um, and I know there are politicians working very hard behind the scenes um, for shooters, uh, particularly shooters and fishers and David Lionhelm, he, he's just brilliant. Um, but, you know, those those guys, you know, as soon as you say anything about trying to repeal the Firearms Act or at least sections of it, um, you know, the media just jump all over them. You know, and then just make them out to look like rednecks, or um, you know, they, they love the term redneck. Um, <laughs> if I, if only they knew like the uh, original term of what redneck actually meant, which was uh, you know farmers working on the land getting rednecks because their necks got burnt. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you know, not actually yeah. because people think oh redneck shooter hunter yokel or you know, you know someone that's got a you know, disability or not too smart. Yeah, you know, not it's not really that at all. No, no, not at all, you know, it's a, it's a badge of honour being a redneck, I thought, you know, you work hard for your money sort of thing, but, um, you know, it's, I think we're just sort of becoming that nation now, unfortunately, that's happy to be led around and happy to be told what to do, and, um, you know, with, with more and more personal freedoms get encroached on every year, and a lot of it gets done by sneaky backdoor legislation that... You know, most people don't even know about. And if it if it wasn't for shooters and fishers and um, you know liberal Democrats and um, even the Cater Party, you know, if it, if it wasn't for those guys and their presence um, in Parliament and on social media informing people, you know, what these idiots are doing, um, you know, we wouldn't have that voice to speak up and and um, speak out against it. Um, because every time they have an inquiry, like the most recent um, inquiry that the the Greens led, like, that was just I want to know exactly how much of my taxpayer dollars were wasted on that. Um, Quite a lot. You know, it was just a yeah, it was just an attack on shooters with no facts of any kind. Um, I often use what I think I should be the Greens Party's mantra, that line off MythBusters where he says, um, "I reject your reality and substitute my own." <laughs> I think that should be the Green Party mantra because uh, they just make up what what they don't know. If they don't know it, they just make it up. And um, when you put facts in front of them, we all know what any shooters think of facts. Right? Mm. It's like kryptonite to them. They don't like it at all. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. We're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. 
For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and Hoppies gun cleaning products. Red Fox are also major online retailers for the popular Aussie Maxbox brand and the rest of the innovative products distributed by Eagle Eye Hunting Gear. All at Red Fox Outdoor Supplies. So go to the website redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or phone Greg on 0412 495 712. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit SSAAsydney.net. I've got a question. This is a very interesting one. I get different opinions. You know, we, you're probably aware, you know, Glenn McGrath was hunting in Africa, you know, several yep. years ago, and there was a big social media, you know, anti-hunting campaign, you know, saying he was, you know, all, all types of uh, expletive words. Now, oh, he, ca- he came out, I want because there's actually one I wanted to read now that just came out the other day, but he, ca- yeah, Glenn McGrath, as you probably know, came out and said he was, you know, sorry, and it was something... You know, he went through when his wife, uh, Jane, passed away, obviously, from cancer. Um, obviously, everyone knows he's, he might, I think, he's lying because, you know, he's been a hunter since he was a kid. As far as I've heard from several different people, his wife bought him several of these firearms that he owned. He was also quoted in the Sporting Shooters magazine saying he had a passion to go and hunt in Africa, but no specific game in mind. He just wanted to try it all. He, you know, he was very interested in it. Now, he did say he apologised. Now, there was another one just the other day too, mate. I'm not sure if you heard. There was a My Kitchen Rules. Uh, yeah. Uh, what do they call that? He's a, um, I guess, a, sometimes a guest reviewer on the show, whatever he does. Um, and Colin Fastnidge or something, uh, he's, now he's actually posted some photos on Instagram as well. Now, he's come out too now and said he's really sorry. Um, like, obviously, this guy loves hunting too. He's got some, had some photos, you know, shooting some firearms. Now, the, the interesting part about this, I wanted, first off, I wanted to get your, your opinion on, you know, what do you think of people that are just, you know, because I've had people that have gone the opposite. Some have said, listen, let's get a social media campaign which i think i fell for a little bit and we we uh, got some money for glenn mcgrath there was a thing i think about five thousand was raised i'm pretty sure um and sent over to the mcgrath foundation but then other people like one of my co-hosts mario where and i've kind of agree with it too are really really angry uh well not angry but more just disappointed with glenn because he's sold hunters under the bus and this is what this guy's just gone and done as well this um colin fast fashion is sorry i can't say his name properly but he's also come out too oh you know i'm really sorry and then i want to read something from the article here 
Now, Nick Sutterby, now he's from the National, uh, sorry, the Australian Society for Kangaroos. President Nick Sutterby saying yesterday, uh, it's basically violence against innocent, gentle animals. And he obviously thinks it is a cool thing to do as a chef, going out to kill your own animals for your cooking. You just can't go out and kill kangaroos and put them on your plate. Kangaroos are adored the world over. So it's not a good look. And you'd have to question his position on MKR. So I guess my question is, to one, what do you think about him always apologizing after the fact? Two, I mean, this this ridiculous comments about eating meat. Um, and then this call every time. Uh, as soon as someone's in a position, oh, fire him. Oh, get rid of him. We can't have him hunting lions. Let them lose their contracts. I mean, what do you think? Oh, man, I think it's a joke, you know. Like, um, I, I do... I see it from both sides, and I am sort of on the fence about it. Um, I, I think it's really shameful that the media can put that sort of pressure on them where they feel like they have to apologise for doing something that they obviously enjoy. Um, I mean, why would you spend all that money, like particularly in Grand McGrath's situation? Like, why would you, it's not cheap to go to Africa and you know shoot um, one of the big five over there or... You know, it's it's not cheap. That's tens of thousands of dollars. Like he obviously enjoyed it, or he wouldn't do it. You know, like I wouldn't pay someone, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to do something I didn't enjoy. Um, you know, it's obviously a passion of his, um, and he enjoys it. And um, so I, I, I sort of I'm on the fence. Like I understand why he's come out and sort of, you know, oh, I shouldn't have done it. Blah 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 blah. I think he's lying when he says that. I think he knows that he enjoyed it. But at the same time, um, being a public figure and being the face of the McGrath Foundation and everything that he's built there, I think he's sort of left in a position where he where he has to come out and pander to the media and apologise. And it'd be great if you know if, if he did come out and sort of stand up for himself. But like, I got no angst towards him for you know for not because I really understand like the media just crucifies people. Um, it really does, and it has so much power. I mean, it's got the power to, you know, put someone in a prime minister's office. So, you know, that that same media and swaying public opinion against someone like Glenn McGrath, like I do, like all of Australia loved him, and this is what sort of annoys me about shooting in Australia. Like Australia loved him when he was wheeled in a cricket bat. You know, like everyone loved him when he was playing cricket. Where you know where. You know, we pride ourselves on being a great sporting nation and we love our sport and as soon as one of our sporting guys picks up a, a gun to participate in another sport, um, you know, that person's automatically a scumbag. He's the worst guy <laughs> you know? in the world, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a it, shooting is a sport. Um, you know, he's just participating in another sport, but because it's not a sport that's media-friendly and makes millions of dollars for... Um, you know, the corporations that, you know, sponsor those sports and advertise during them, um, you know, they turn against them. And I, th- I think that's a real shame. Yeah. Um, and, and as for, like, <laughs> old mate on MasterChef that shot his own kangaroos, old mate's statement that um, you can't just go out and shoot a kangaroo and put it on your dinner plate. Well, mate, that's been happening for... Uh, tens of thousands of years <laughs> what did they, what did they think that um the first australians were eating when they came here you know well, of course you can go out kill a kangaroo and put it on your dinner plate that's what they're there for you know it's, they're there to be food for other people we um you know we didn't evolve canine teeth for chewing up tofu mate <laughs> they're there to eat meat you know it's where do they think the meat comes from 
and they all sit there and they watch their master chef or their my kitchen rules or whatever show it was this guy's on they all you know love love and watch them cook up these real nice meals and that but it goes back to these people that eat meat that just completely oblivious as to where it comes from you know this, I'm, I'm unaware of any kangaroo farms um, they, they could well be, but um, as far as I was aware, like, all kangaroo meat was wild harvested. That, that was that was where I thought it came from. I, I could be a bit ignorant to that too. There might be a kangaroo farm somewhere, but um, any kangaroo meat I've ever consumed over the years has always been, you know, shot. Um, that's how they that's how they do it. Marty, tell us. I know we're talking about meat and eating. Do you hunt for meat culture, uh, feral animal control? Why do you hunt in particular? I, I hunt just straight up because I like it. Um, you know, I like getting out there in the bush and, and hunting. Um, I do eat some of the things I shoot. I'll, I'll try anything once. I um, I had some of the first hair that I um, shot for my friends. Um, I can't say I'm a fan of it. <laughs> it's not 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 like rabbit at all. It's it's got a real sort of gamey taste to it. Um, so not a fan. But I've, I've tried the hair meat. Um, I've had the straps off a couple of the deer I've shot beautiful well, the first one i sort of cooked it wrong and it was probably one of the worst bits of meat i'd ever eaten but then i sort of looked up a few game recipes on how to prepare it properly and uh, it is beautiful like I'll, I'll have a nice piece of venison backstrap over an eye fillet any day of the week so I, I do enjoy the meat um and the feral animal control is a big thing too in rural areas um you know you get foxes um pulling down lambs and like, as they're being birthed you know they're only just fresh out of their mum and you know, foxes are on them, tearing them to pieces, and um, you know we get there's a we have problems with wild dogs out at Kilcoy. Like my um, auntie and uncle have had one on their property take down, you know, a young only a couple day old calf, and they'd, a lot of the time they're not even eating them; they're just pulling them down for for fun. Um, so you know, as much as I love dogs, I'm a big dog fan. I've done work with dog rescue and that kind of thing, and. I've fostered dogs and rehomed them, but like, wild dogs that are out there taking down livestock. Like, one, it's you know pretty horrific for the um, for the animal that it's destroyed, uh, and two, that's you know that's someone's livelihood as well. You know they're, they're taking food off the table of those farmers. So um, I, I don't think twice before squeezing the trigger on a wild dog or a feral cat or a fox, or um, because you know as humans we released them into the wild and there we're, we're now responsible for you know the damage they cause so it's, it's up to us to you know try and limit the damage that they can cause you know we'll never we'll never wipe them out completely but our, our ancestors are the ones that dropped foxes and rabbits and cane toads and things all over the country and now they're everywhere in plague proportion so you know we've got to be the ones to clean them up because um you know it takes hundreds of thousands of years for stuff to evolve um to try and defend themselves against those predators and our wildlife hasn't got that sort of time so you know we've got to be there to protect them absolutely mate i want to uh, get a bit more political now we do we do both here on the show so what's your thoughts oh, on absolutely. firearms ownership in australia at the moment i mean the current i guess the current system going back to i guess the 96 howard era of banning certain types of uh, uh firearms and just the general state of play currently uh, in 2015 I mean, think, things have obviously gotten bad since '96. I mean, the direction that we took was—I don't think it was a knee-jerk reaction at all. I, I think it was—I um, 
I think they had basically had a plan ready to go and the Port Arthur massacre was just an excuse for them. Basically, I think they, I think Johnny was secretly rubbing his hands together when that, you know, when that tragedy did occur. Um, but, you know, I think at the same time, had our laws been different, had we been allowed concealed carry, I know I wasn't in that situation, but, um, you know, if, if someone in that cafe that he marched into that morning had been concealed carry a handgun, you know, maybe the outcome would be different, who's to say, but I think, um, you know, our firearm laws um, do need a massive overhaul. Um, I know we've got to take them like baby steps. You can't do too much at once, um, but like gun ownership is up. You know, there's more legal registered firearms now in Australia than there's ever been. You know, there's over 800,000 firearm owners in Australia. Um, and if you're to believe, you know, what the Greens say, um, that, that should be, you know, 800,000 massacres a week <laughs> because we're all, you know, we're all lunatics. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's funny, you, you, just, you just don't see it happen. Like, gun ownership is up. Um, you know, people, more and more people are getting into the sport. Um, it is a growing sport. Um, I think what we really need to be concentrating on is, is getting some of the, you know, the firearm that, you know, we lost. Like, how many times I've been out hunting and wanted a quick follow-up shot and, you know, I've got my bolt action. You know, I've got to reload it. I've got to pull my eye off the target. I've got to re-shoulder it, find the target again, and then hopefully it's still there to take an, another shot if I miss or whatever. You know, if I had, like, a nice... Um, you know, like an SKS or a Mini-14 or something like that. It's just a matter of adjusting, squeezing the trigger again. Uh, makes you a more effective hunter, and, like, there's a the hunting side of it. And then there's the sporting side of it, too. Uh, we miss out on so many cool competitions, like um, like um, three-gun in the States, you know, semi-automatic handgun, semi-automatic rifle, and semi-automatic shotgun. You know, it's a really cool competition when you watch it. It just looks like an absolute blast to do um and we 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 can't have that here because you know we're not trusted um with those with those firearms i mean the semi-automatic pistol yes we can have those much of the um much of the disdain of the greens um but you know if it if you want to go and shoot any multi-gun competition in australia there's you're very really very limited uh and that's sort of why i really like western action shooting um, it, it's one of the fastest growing sports. Um, well, it is the fastest growing shooting sport worldwide. Um, you might see them down at your local range when you're down there. It's, it's usually um, old blokes. It's not a lot of young people in it. Um, I think they sort of look at it as a bit dorky, but I love it. You get dressed up like a cowboy. You get your 244 Magnum pistols on your hips, and you know you shoot those rounds as quick as you can at your target, and then you transition to your lever action carbine in the same caliber and another 10 rounds and then it's you know four shots out of a 12 gauge coach gun and you don't feel it happening to your face um but <laughs> you walk in looking serious and by the time you've completed that stage some 30 seconds later you just grin and you see your face almost hurts from how much you're smiling it's so much fun mm. um and that, that's really like the only sort of I know there are a couple of other events, but I mean that's really the closest we'll come to multi-gun shooting in Australia um, because of these ridiculous laws that we have. Um, how anyone thinks that you know we're safer with the only people with ready access to those firearms as criminals, um, and law-abiding people can't have them. You know, in what world that makes you safer, I'm, I'm not sure, but <laughs> it's a bit of a joke to me. <laughs> no, mate, tell us about. Um, we're talking politics before. I know it's. 
obviously a bit different in Queensland. When I, there's not many uh, program representatives, I think, except for Cata. So I guess there's probably really only what Cata uh, and the Shooters and Fishers Party. So I guess the first question is, do you vote for a, a pro-gun political party or do you vote for the, one of the two majors? And if you don't mind telling us, who do you vote for? Unless you want to keep it oh, secret. Or... In, in, a, in a federal election, um, I've got the um, ability to vote pro-gun. You know, I'll, I'll vote um, Catter or I'll vote Shooters and Fishers. Um, just depends um, which of which one I've got a representative of in my area. Um, I'll vote them. I'll, I'll never vote Liberal, um, and I'll never vote Labor. Um, and it'll be a cold day in hell before I vote for the Greens. Um, I've, but in the state election, this um, most recent state election we've had here in Queensland. Um, as, as you know, voting is compulsory in Australia. So we've got the freedom to vote, but they've got the freedom to find you if you don't. Um, I'm, I'm literally a single-issue voter. If you don't support guns, I don't support your political party. That's, it's as simple as it is for me. Um, and my choice when I went to the polling booth um, for the most recent election, I'd family first. They're staunchly anti-gun, anti-freedom. Um, liberals... Um, Everyone that listens to your podcast know how they go with firearms. Yep. Um, Labor and Greens, that was my four choices. Um, you know, so what do I do? <laughs> I've, got, I've got four parties that want to shut me down as a shooter, and I'm, by law, I've got to vote for one of them. Um, and that's, that's a sad state of it. Um, that while we do have those pro-gun parties um, in Queensland, they just unfortunately just don't have the, the representatives out there um, collecting the votes and very difficult um, particularly in an area like Brisbane where you know I forget how many electorates there are but it's quite a few in such a small area um, and the majority of those you know are you know people that have born and raised in the in the city and they got no idea what happens out in the country so they're all very anti-gun yeah so in the state um, election Marty in the state election obviously your local area you didn't have any representatives what about uh but you know, you don't have an upper house so wow okay so yeah you're really hard. sort of you're really stuffed in queensland at the moment um which is which is sad you know we've we still got a shot in um you know in federal politics but as you know all those gun laws are enforced by the state i know any time i've written to um I've written to a local member. Um, um, you know, they sort of fob you off. Is <laughs> basically what happens to you when you when you write in to complain about um, restrictions on firearms or the lengthy process of obtaining a license. Like I 100% agree with the way our licensing requirements work. I think everyone should be vetted. I mean, that's just that's just plain common sense. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a shooter that would disagree with that. But after that, um, that's really the only gun law I agree with. Uh, I think PTAs are just a cash grab. Why have I got to pay someone 35 bucks to look in a computer and see if I'm licensed for a category and send that out in writing so I can buy a gun? Why can't I walk into a gun shop, hand over my licence? He can check that my licence is... I'm you know, licensed to own that particular type of firearm... Why can't he just ring weapons licensing, check that my license is still current and that I haven't committed a crime or had a DBA put against me or something like that that would you know, preclude me from um, owning a firearm? Why can't he just ring them and they say, yeah, he's right, and I walk out of the shop that day with the firearm that I paid cash for? 
you know, I don't understand that process. I don't understand why I've got to pay someone 35 bucks to do exactly that process, but in writing. Because they always Just, say, Marty, it's a, you know, it's a user pay system. Well, I never agreed to pay for this system. I, I defunct the system and abolish the system tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars a year state by state to administer these systems. And one, they're, you know, in my mind, they're redundant, but there's a more efficient way. You could, you could be doing it with a phone call. Um, and like, well, why not have an the online system, Marty? You know, like an online system. You go in, like yeah. as you said, go into your, your gun shop. They've got a direct direct link. Dealers have got a direct link to the registry. They can go on there, check details, instantly get, you know, if it's obviously already in, in, New, or sorry, in Queensland, they've already got it. It's already registered. It's already come in. It's already on the system. They assign it to you, and they do all the paperwork, and then the registry uh, makes sure that it's all up to date and correct. That's all they've got to do. It should be just direct link. Exactly, but we've got to pay these people who don't want you to have a gun to do all that for yeah, you. I and think they do that they on purpose. I think they do oh, it on absolutely. purpose because here in New South Wales, it's just expen- like it's thirty dollars. I think probably bit, only a bit cheaper than yours, right? But in Victoria, they're like nine dollars eighty, or just basically ten dollars to get a permit to acquire, yep. and they're getting their dealers and they're getting them back within two to three to four days at the absolute longest. I mean, our registry here in New South Wales, don't is how can you not apply for a permit online and just pay with a credit card online? It's a basic e-commerce system, <laughs> but yep. this is what they want you to do. They want to t- they want you to take longer. They don't want to do this. Because one, they're spending way too much money on the registry, so there's no money to upgrade it because it's a complete waste of money. All it is is a black hole of lost taxpayer dollars paying for this ridiculous system. Well, it does pay for one thing, and that is, that is a shopping list for criminals. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> that's where your money's going. You know, like anyone that can see that, like there's been a spate of firearm thefts across rural Australia, of people breaking in and stealing guns from farmers. Like their neighbours don't see them with the guns. Um, you know, a bit easier in suburbia if you keep your gun safe in your garage, your garage door goes up, everyone can see, I don't keep my gun safe in there, but they can see all my reloading gear, and anyone that knows what they're looking at will know there's a gun in the house. But in those rural areas, no one sees it. Where are they getting the information from? You know, it's, it's got to be coming from a leaky registry. Mm. And they and say they know more data is good. It's just ridiculous. How, how is more yeah. data? I mean, you know that. You go to the shop, you've got to, well, I don't know, if, or here in New South Wales we do, but you, you, know, you go to your local, um, you know, uh, shooting range when you join, you know, sporting shooters or whichever, you know, uh, organisation you've joined, you've got to provide your address there. Uh, you've got to provide your address to the registry. Here in New South Wales, you've got to provide the address when you're buying ammo now because of the ammo bill. I mean, so many any avenues where you've got your address. I mean, people even ask me, I give them my PO box, and they say, oh, no, we need your address. I go, no, absolutely not. This is my address. I don't have an address. Oh, where do you live? I live at that post office box, <laughs> you know? Yep. I do not give <laughs> I you... I up real small at night time and feed exactly. my way into that box. <laughs> oh, but, but we need you. I said, no, you don't need my address for anything. You, or you can contact me via that. And people get a bit somewhat... Uh, Clubs I've been to get a bit shitty sometimes, and I'm like, well, what do you want yep. me to do? My my safety is uh, the ultimate. People that I know, I'll let come to my house because they know and I trust them. But other people, no, I don't, not at all. I don't let them come to my house. I just give them the PO box in everything that I deal with. Yeah, and it does. It just absolutely that registry. It just makes you a target. You know, you don't know that someone's not. You know, in that working in that registry, someone's not paying them. You know, if you're working in one of those jobs, like I can't imagine it's a, a massive paying job. You're telling me that if someone, you know, uh, untoward approached you and said, "Mate, I'll give you, um, I'll give you a hundred dollars 
per name and address of firearms owners, these are the types of guns I'm looking for. You know, you're telling me that's not a realistic scenario, that someone doesn't approach these people and pay them for addresses, and yep. I, just, I just don't trust the system. Or even when um, you know, police come to your house. I mean, I, don't, I know it's police. You think all police are legitimate, which you know, most of them are. But you know, I've got yep. to let someone, for which I don't know who they are, right, into my home, regardless of whether he's wearing a uniform. How do I know he's not down at the pub the next day with his mates going, oh, this guy, like, you know, that Marty guy, shit, he had a great little co- uh, collection of um, pistols, you know. Oh, yeah, here's where he lives, and they just start scoping your property out. They know exactly oh, yeah, where they are, they know exactly where to go, and they know exactly what they're looking for, how many they're looking for, and what to do. I mean, again, like people know I'm not bagging out the police at all, but again, I'm letting someone in my house, which I don't know who they are. I don't, it's just a police officer. So what? Doesn't automatically mean, you know, he's of the highest yeah. integrity. I mean, we've seen exactly. many police getting in trouble for a lot of different things over you know, the last five to ten years, or since you know, the police service began, you know, corruption, etc. Again, it's not everyone. I want to make everyone aware of that. It's not everyone. But, you know, how do I know that? The only good data, I think, is no data at all. Absolutely. All all they need to know is your licence. And I think it also gives police a false sense of security. Like, um, I've got got a few friends that are are coppers and, you know, if they go to someone, do a welfare check, you know, if there's, you know, someone's rung up saying there's a domestic at the property or whatever, they'll turn up and it'll show up on their computer whether there's um, licensed firearms at the address. So they know there's firearms in there, but if it doesn't show up on the computer, what are they to assume that the person living there doesn't have any firearms? Like, so yes, yes. You I know, unregistered firearms aren't going to show up. So it gives them a false sense of security walking yes. through the door. You know, just assuming no one's going to stick a shotgun in their face. I just had this debate, Marty, about six months ago with a former listener, and he he's actually cut me off. He doesn't like me anymore, but um, <laughs> because of my views. But he's a police officer, and he said, "Oh, this this registry has directly saved my life three times in the line of duty." I said, well, "How so?" And he said, well, we know when we go there, there's firearms um, at the property. And I said, okay, fantastic. I said, quote me some cases where a domestic dispute uh, has involved with a licensed law-abiding firearm owner that has decided to use those firearms either against the wife and or police when they've attended the property. So I think he was lying to me anyway. And obviously uh, there was silence and um, crickets. And I said, so answer me another question. I said, let's say... um, he doesn't have a firearms license, uh, so you would treat this. You would just run into the property without treating the situation with caution. He goes, "Well, absolutely not." And I said, "Well, so what's the difference? Like, it, it, how do you know he doesn't have an illegal firearm, a knife, a bat waiting beside the door?" And he goes, "Well, we don't." And I said, "Would well, you go in there with your blinkers on?" And he said, "No." And I said, "Well, you're just confirming my point again, you know, <laughs> you know." Yeah. But obviously, he didn't like that and um, gave me the chop off Facebook, etc. So, <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, his loss, not mine. I mean, yeah, better you know, off without him, mate. That's yeah. sort of attitude. But you know? it's it's the same. Like I got a, one of my mates. He's um, I went to high school with him. He's um, he's a he's a federal cop. Um, and he's a mad keen shooter. He comes out to the range all the time and shoots away. But at the same time, he's you know in a hundred percent agreement with our firearm laws and thinks they should be stricter. <laughs> yeah, see, it's the whole attitude, Marty. Again, that like like this guy that I spoke to, you know, well I can have it, but you shouldn't have it, which really pisses yeah. me pisses me off quite 
quite it makes me angry they're like oh no well we're experienced what because you threw a shirt on i mean i've got a detective yeah. who's a great friend of mine works at my local police station she's off on maternity leave but she even she says we're lucky to shoot once to twice a year 20 rounds due to budgetary constraints and i said yeah. what well, if you wanted to put 500 rounds down range in a day she said are oh, you kidding we wouldn't be allowed it cost too much money so yeah. got guys like you out there and guys that I know that are out there shooting pistols 40 weekends of out of 52 weekends a year, yet, yep. oh, throw, throw a shirt on someone with a badge on it, well, oh, automatically the respect, and that they must be a sharpshooter. They must be very yeah, proficient in, in shooting firearms. Ridiculous. In, instant sniper just to add police uniform. Exactly. And again, it's not bagging <laughs> That's what out. people assume. Yeah, it's not bagging out. It's just the facts. This is coming from their, uh, their own words. That yeah. they, don't, they do well, not shoot. They're doing it very rarely. police. 60 rounds per 12-month allocation, and that wow. doesn't necessarily mean that every 12 months you shoot 60 rounds to keep your qualification. Yeah. You might shoot once in February, and then a year goes past, and then technically you don't have to shoot again until the next year, so you might not shoot that pistol again until December. So you've gone a full two years. How could you be without proficient? Shooting, without shooting a pistol. Yeah, how could and you be that, proficient doing that? Like 60 rounds, I'd blast that off in about uh, two minutes. <laughs> Yeah, you, that's exactly the same. I, I go to the range and, like, on an average week, I'd probably burn through two, three hundred rounds of varying calibre through a handgun. Um, and if I have other things on on the weekend, like I'm tra away travelling or, you know, away for work or something like that, and I don't shoot for a few weeks, I come back, I shoot horribly. It, it takes me another few hundred rounds to get back to where I was. Uh, it's, it's a perishable skill. It's something, if you're not doing it all the time, you're just not going to be ever good at it. Um, and it's, you know, people that think that, oh, you can just pick up, point, and shoot. And like I said, it comes back to what people see on the movies, you know? Like, they've got a bad guy holding a, you know, a gun to your head and a police officer standing a few metres away with a gun pointed at them, and, and everyone goes, oh, just shoot him in the head. It's an easy shot. And it's like, well, come out to the range and see if you can shoot a head-sized target that's moving around <laughs> Next from 10 metres away on your first go. Yeah. Tell me how easy it is. You it's know? so funny when people say that, isn't it? I was sitting there going, like, I, I remember my first couple of shots when I first got my pistol. Uh, you know, I was one first, I think, one or two shots. I was hitting the dirt in front of the 25-metre the, the, uh, target. I said, oh, geez, this is harder than I thought. And then, you know, once oh, yeah. you sort of get your skills. But if you gave that person, if I've never shot it before, you know, I wouldn't want to be in front of the firearm dancing around hoping, you know, not to get shot. But, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd take I'd take, I'd, yeah, I'd take me chances if it was them and I had to get away from them, not, hopefully not being hit, you know what I mean? But you know, oh, yeah. it, it can be fairly difficult. I mean, it's really, really difficult to hit, especially with the, the handgun, you know. And then, and then a moving target and a small target at that, I mean, it can be very difficult. Yeah. And, and a lot of people too, like... And, this is something I will sort of defend police about. Like, there's been a number of sort of... It's a few months ago, there was, in quick succession, there was a number of um, fatal police shootings in Queensland. And, you know, the media... Like, you get all these people that they interview in the street, oh, why can't they just shoot them in the leg? Well, if someone's 10 metres away from you and they're lunging at you with a knife and you've got pretty much two seconds to pull and shoot, like, un out of your holster and shoot, um, you haven't got time to try and aim to shoot someone in the leg. It's yeah. centre mass, you know, and that's what they teach at the police academy is centre mass. It's what the military teaches, centre mass. No, no one shoots someone in the leg except in Hollywood, you know. <laughs> and, you know, they, they sort of, oh, you know, they, they try to lump it into, um, you know, police brutality or something like that. But in my mind, if 
someone's charging at you with a knife, they've got every intention of using it when they reach you. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, they've, they've got the right to defend themselves, and I just wish that was a right that, you know, extended to everybody else. I think everybody should be, um, you know, if you're, a, if you're a licensed pistol shooter, you should legally be allowed to conceal carry a pistol for your own protection. You know, you know shooters, licensed shooters are among the most responsible people in Australia. The, the hoops that you've got to jump through to get a pistol license and the red tape you've got to do to keep that pistol license every year and the amount of times you've got to shoot every year. Um, you know, we're very trustworthy people and, you know, people want to attack you because you want to carry a firearm to protect yourself and the people around you. Like, I don't know anyone at my club that if they were carrying a pistol and, you know, someone was in a dangerous situation that they wouldn't use that pistol to defend not only themselves, but people around them. You know, I can only see society getting safer the more people, like the more responsible people that are out there carrying um, firearms. You know, an armed society is a polite society. And for people that don't want to, um, here's the thing about concealed carry. If you don't want to, don't. <laughs> it's not a law. Yeah. They don't, you know, they, they don't say, here, you've got to have a gun or you're not allowed to leave your house. It's your choice to defend your life or the life of the loved ones or the lives of the general public around you. Um, you know, that's your choice. Uh, yeah, and they did it in Chicago too. They introduced it. They said, yeah, there was going to be blood on the streets with the concealed carry. Well, crime's down by roughly just on 36%. So, uh, yeah. You know, and then the police, um, or their police minister of equivalent, chief's going... Yeah, we kind of got that wrong. Uh, we yeah. thought this was going to happen, and it's actually worked really well. We support it now. Well, hasn't that Absolutely. changed the, the state of play in Chicago and the USA? So, very interesting. And here's, the, here's the thing. It doesn't cost the government anything to make the streets safer by doing that. It doesn't cost them anything. In fact, they make money from people paying for their permit, buying the tax that they get from buying their pistol, their ammunition, um, the money that they tax the rangers for when these people go into their local range and they pay money to go and shoot, they're making money and they're making the streets safer. Like, it's just, to me, it's win-win. I don't understand. I think they assume that, you know, I, I, I see their side of the argument. You know, two young fellows might get into a road rage incident and, you know, they're worried people are going to pull their guns out. I think that, you know, maybe that's what they're concerned about is, you know, people will be quick to pull, but... Um, I know that um, being a licensed firearms owner has actually like settled me down as a person. Like, yeah, when I, I was agree. a young bloke, you know, I was you know quick to, you know, I was, I was very quick. Someone mouth off or something like that. I was I was very quick to sort of jump into a fight or you know mouth off back or road rage. And now, like someone cuts me off or you know says something or has a go, I just think no, I'm, it's not worth losing my guns well, for seven it, years. Exactly, because, exactly. Yeah. I've thought that plenty yeah. of times doing that. I thought. You know, I've had people go at war where some guy's cut me off and he's got out mouth, and I thought, no, normally I'd have a mouthful back, you know, because I'm not small, you know, I'm sort of 6'2", over 100 kilos, so, you know, and I'm thinking, there, you know, uh, things could have happened, but I just, I just, yep, turn the other cheek, mate, I've walked the other way. You know, it's just not yep. worth it. I've told friends, unless you're getting murdered, don't please that we go out, but my friends aren't like that anyway, but don't, please don't you know, be stupid and don't get me into a fight. I can't afford to be in this situation. You know, especially yeah. since running this show and my name would be all over the internet if I lost my licence, no doubt. Oh, absolutely, mate. I can just I could imagine a media storm now, you know. Gun nut erupts in violence in Sydney C V T or alcohol fueled rage from, you know, popular gun from, show. From, from <laughs> podcaster, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, you 
you could see it now. And, it, so, you know, and they do. They jump on you when that sort of stuff happens. Yep. All right, Marty, five questions in under a minute. You think you can take the challenge? I'll have a crack at it. All right, three, two, one. In five words or less, describe being a firearms owner means to you. Oh, it means a challenge every day, educating idiots. Uh, okay, favourite game species of all time to hunt and why? Hares. They're good fun. They're always around and, um, yeah, it's just good fun. All right, the main reason you love Western action shooting and why? Oh, it's just, again, just a barrel of laughs. It is, it's, it's four guns. Um, you empty as many bullets as you can in as little time as you can and, yeah, I just love it. Yeah, if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I'd actually like to head out to the Territory, uh, Northern Territory, and, and have a crack at shooting a camel. I've got a few mates that have done that and loved it and have heard their stories, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a crack at doing that. Favourite piece of hunting equipment you own, what is it and why? Good pair of boots. A nice pair of Ariats that I hike around in the hills with. You, you cannot put a price on comfortable feet when you're walking around all day. Ooh, 56.85. Another, Nailed it. Um, yeah, another successful person. We've had a few successes in the last few shows, so uh, it's been fairly positive. So that's good, man. <laughs> Mate, uh, Marty, to finish off a story, the listeners, and I want, you know, I've always got to tell people, when they tell the story, we, we want to feel the story, Marty. We want to know the time <laughs> of day, you know, temperature, you know, maybe a hunt or maybe a, a shoot. You've been out of the range. You've had a great day shooting down at the range and something happened. You won something. Just any story. But we want it, we, we, we want it sold to the listeners. We want to feel like we're there. <laughs> I'm a silver-tongued salesman, mate, so I should be pretty good at it. <laughs> I, um, Hit me. Probably my, my first deer hunt uh, was probably um, one of the best hunts I've ever been on. Um, it was out at my uncle and auntie's property out at Kilcoy. And we sort of went down to the back of their property and had a bit of a, a muck around with a couple of the rifles. And um, I was sort of worried that, you know, sighting them in and that sort of thing that might might frighten the deer off. But where the deer are, we're on a different section of the property behind the hill so the noise doesn't sort of carry around. So we sort of mucked around for the day, just shooting tin cans and having a bit of a general play around with some of the guns and got all the camo gear on and filled up the water bottles and loaded the rifles and... Everything jumped in the ute, drove around to that part of the um, creek, and I was with um, my two younger cousins. One was 20 and the other was 18 at the time. Um, <laughs> jumped out of the truck and they said, oh, you know, we'll walk from here so they don't hear us. And we're all being very quiet and sort of walked for a couple of hundred metres from the truck and we crossed this bit of a creek, come out the other side of the creek, and there's a whole herd of deer grazing no more than 100 metres away. <laughs> I was expecting this big long trek up the mountain and through the scrub and looking for signs and footprints and wallow and, you know, I would have been happy to just see a deer that day and, yeah, we come across this herd, like, not even 300 metres from the truck and uh, <laughs> so this, this deer hunting's easy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, lined them up and because um, for them it's, um, being on a farm, like the deer overgraze their, their grazing land that's for the cattle. So for them, it's more about pest eradication than it is about sort of hunting. And uh, yeah, we lined up this herd and we all sort of fired within a couple of seconds of each other, just signaled it. And we took two nice stags and a, a, um, a nice doe, and the rest of them sort of bolted. And we 
chased after them, but they sort of made it into the the hills pretty quick. But um, that was probably that was the first deer hunt I've ever been on, and the most successful deer hunt I've ever been on. And it was yeah. it just made me think that deer hunting was really easy. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well just hang up the deer hunting boots now, mate. Don't worry about it. You you, you can't beat it. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been sorely disappointed when I've gone on, you know, hunts since, thinking it's going to be that easy again because it, it's just not. But um, that, that was a great afternoon. Um, you know, three deers in the in the freezer, um, and they've got a cold room and everything up at their farm, so you know you can you're supposed to let it hang for a week before you butcher it up. Um, and yeah, just butchered up these three deer and hung them in the freezer and took some meat home and. That was just fantastic. It was a really great afternoon, and that was just on the Sunday before I went back to work on the Monday, and it was just a perfect way to top off a weekend. <laughs> mate, fantastic. Mate, just to finish off, one last piece of advice. If you were you know, wanting to get someone into shooting or getting people active, getting off their quinces to make a difference in the hunting and shooting and fishing area, you know, what's one sort of last piece of knowledge you'd like to you know, give our listeners before we finish off? This is vital, and and this is a conversation I've had many times with with other shooters. Um, the only way that shooting in Australia will survive, and the only shot we'll ever have at getting some semblance of of decent gun rights back in Australia, is to simply just get more people into shooting, grow the sport, and do it properly. Um, you know, like. Don't take people to the range and give them a gun they can't handle. Um, you know, start them small on something little, and they'll just have a great time. Um, you know, there's there are a few tool bags out there um, that they'll take their misses to the gun range. Never held a gun before. Um, they'll get it signed in and everything, so everything's all legal. They'll take it down to the pistol club, um, stick a hot loaded 44 Magnum in their hand. They squeeze the trigger once. Massive amount of muzzle blast. The gun nearly shit whips them in the face. You know. And then the, just so the bloke can have a laugh at it, you know, him and his mates will have a laugh at it. And that girl just goes away, tells all her friends how dangerous and scary shooting is, and, you know, just poisons the minds of other people against shooting. So, I mean, take people out, give them a firearm they can handle, um, and they'll have a great time. I don't know anyone that's picked up a gun, squeezed a trigger and went, well, that was shit, <laughs> and put the gun down. You know, everyone loves it. People grin from ear to ear. I got like the sort of hippie-ish friend that I took out, dead against guns. I had a nice little nine millimeter Beretta. I took her out. I loaded up for her. Went through, you know, I stood behind her, made sure that she kept the pistol pointed in a safe direction. Drilled the safety into her before we got there, and mate, she'd burned through a hundred rounds in about ten minutes, and just grinning from ear to ear. And the only reason she stopped shooting is she ran out of ammo. And um, you know, now she'll go away to her other anti-gun friends, and hopefully. I mean, she hasn't taken it up as a sport. Like she does come to the range occasionally with me, but what you know, she might do, and what I would hope she would do, that if she's having that conversation with you know other anti-gunner friends, you know, she might pipe up and say, "Well, actually, it is a bit of fun. You know, go out and give it a try." You know, that's one mind I've managed to unpoison, and I take people to the range all the time, and I think that's what every shooter should do, um, particularly handgunners, because that's you know legally the only place you can take a gun is to the range. So if you're going to the range anyway. Why not take a mate? You know? mm. I think that's that's an that's an important thing that every shooter should be doing. Marty Phillips is an everyday hunter here on AHP. Thanks for your time, Marty. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.